So in this series uh, titled Unhappy Holidays, we're talking about what, would, what some would call the holiday blues, the holidays, Thanksgiving, Thursday, Christmas about a month away, New Year's a little, a little further away, can often magnify feelings of depression, sadness, grief, a sense of hopelessness. So we're investigating this topic. And the way we investigate any topic in this church is we go straight to the Bible. We find out what God said. We find out what the scriptures teach. We believe the whole Bible here in this church from cover to cover. We believe from Genesis through Revelation that all of it is God's word, God inspired. And as I always say, we even believe on the outside where it says genuine leather. We believe that too. Amen. We believe the whole Bible. So we go to the scripture to find out what God says. And the reason we do it is we do it in an effort to help those who may be struggling with depression, who may be struggling with this sadness, this cloud that hangs over them emotionally and mentally. Or maybe they're susceptible to it, falling into unhealthy thought patterns. So we're going to talk today about the causes of depression the causes of an unhappy holiday. Now, next week, what we're going to talk about is what you can do about it, things you can do to win the war with depression. We're also going to talk next week about how you can help somebody. Maybe that's not your battle. Maybe you don't battle with this, but you can help somebody. You can be a blessing to somebody. So we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Let's look at some of the causes of depression as we um, investigate this topic, there's a number of influences in your life that may increase the chance of the holiday blues. Some of you battle at different levels. I battle at a certain level with it myself from time to time. So uh, as your pastor and your uh, leader, uh, I want you to know that, that it's an area where I struggle. Uh, most of you will never see my struggle but Miss Millie sees it, and people who are really, really close to me, they know when I'm, I'm struggling with that, and um, it's, usually it's usually around uh, circumstances. It's not a physical thing with me, but it's around circumstances. I have a tendency to glance away from God and get my eyes on the situation, kind of like Peter when he was walking on the water and looked away from Jesus, got his eyes on the situation. I do that from time to time. So all of us battle maybe at one level or another with this problem, but some of you battle at a very high level. We talked about it last week, and if you didn't get to hear last week's message, I hope you'll go online and listen to it. It's absolutely free of charge, and uh, you can just go on our website and get into the archives, and you can listen to it. Maybe you know somebody who's struggling, and you want to send them, you can send them the link, and they can watch it, and... Hopefully it will be a blessing to them. But here are some of the causes. Abuse. Abuse is a cause of depression. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional, verbal abuse can cause depression when it's happening. And it can cause depression later in life. So we know, uh, some of you sitting right here, you know what abuse is. You've experienced abuse. And um, when you were being abused as a child or or maybe at uh, years gone by in some relationship that you had and you didn't even realize the effect it was having on you. 
But now years later, you realize it and you battle depression and that can be a cause. Uh, medications that we take, some of the medications we take can be a cause. Uh, you need to educate yourself on the medication you take. You need to research. You need to read the paperwork they give you. When you get a prescription medication, you need to read that paperwork. Find out what's in it and how it might affect you. This goes for not only prescription meds, but across-the-counter medication too. And um, mixing different drugs, making sure your doctor over here is, who's prescribing something knows what the doctor over here is prescribing. And you're not mixing things that your doctors aren't aware of. And some people might be listening to me today and go, wonder when he's going to really start preaching. I think the church needs to talk about these things. I think people need to uh, wake up and realize that Christians, too, uh, can get involved in a, in a bad behavior, a bad pattern. Uh, even these so-called natural vitamins. Uh, there's a lot of things that are natural that you don't need to swallow. Amen? So uh, every time uh, they talk about it, it's organic, it's natural, it's just a supplement. I want to tell you, a lot of these uh, things, no research has ever been done on them, and they just go ahead and put them out there on the market. You need to make yourself aware of what could be happening with those meds. Let me just give you some other things quickly. Conflict, conflict, uh, personal conflicts or disputes with family members or friends or really anyone. You know, even if you're out on the road and you get in a little conflict with somebody, got a little road rage going on, if, you, if you'll think about it, if you do that during the day, it just messes up your whole day. Not that I would know anything about that, but I've heard that that can happen, and it can uh, mess up your day, mess up your week, make you ashamed of yourself. So uh, I just want you to understand conflict, and when I talk about conflict, it can be somebody you know or somebody you don't know that you're having a conflict with, the enemy will use that to bring a sense of uh, hopelessness and grief and, and uh, depression in your life, anger. Uh, loss, we talked about this last week, talk about it today, probably mention it again next week because this is a big one. Sadness or grief from the death of a, lost lo a loved one you lost in the past year. Millie and I will struggle with that this year. We've been praying, getting ourselves ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and Mitch not being with us this year. Um, the loss of not just a person, but uh, you can lose a job and that can have a, a, a devastating effect, especially this time of the year when we're spending more than we normally do. Uh, you lose your home. I, I know people who've lost their home because they lost their job. And I know people who have lost relationships uh, because they lost money, because they lost their job, it put stress on the marriage, stress on the relationship. They weren't where they ought to be spiritually, and it broke the home up. And so you're grieving from a broken relationship. Maybe it's a, a brother or a sister. Maybe it's somebody who won't come to the uh, Thanksgiving meal this year because there's anger and there's division in the family. Maybe it's somebody who won't show up for Christmas. Uh, loss of finances, uh, loss of not just people, but things that are important to us. And then genetically, uh, you can have um, some issues with depression genetically. I was blessed this week to sit with a doctor, um, and uh, we went into his office uh, and, and just sat down, and I was able to ask him some questions about um, 
is depression, can it be genetic? And he immediately was, yes, it, it definitely can be genetic. It can be physical. A family history of depression may increase your risk. Depression is a very complex trait that may be inherited across generations. Major events in your life, and they don't have to be bad events. They can be very positive events. It may surprise you to know that starting a new job can cause depression. Graduating from high school, uh, graduating from college, entering the military, and I didn't even realize it, but leaving the military, leaving that structured life and walking out into a life that's, that's now not structured and, and you have many freedoms and choices that you didn't have before can cause tremendous stress and even result in depression. Getting married, not just getting divorced, can that cause depression, but sometimes getting married because it's such a huge life change and such a huge lifestyle change. Uh, especially if you got married in Las Vegas, that could really cause some depression. So <laughs> we won't even go there. Uh, so, so can events like moving. Uh, I think about uh, ministers' families. My, my brother, uh, Hal, uh, is about to move back to this area. Got a job back in this area, so he's going to be coming back to this area. And he put on Facebook this morning that he did the math, and being a pastor's son and with his job, he's moved about 18 times in his life. And um, uh, ministers move a lot. Military families move a lot. And uh, not just here and moving around in their country that they love, but going to other countries in a totally different culture, uh, moving there, lo again, losing a job, that's a major event, losing income, getting divorced, uh, retiring. You know, we always say we look forward to retiring, but retiring can bring um, depression in a person's life. Um, I'll go through the rest of these very quickly. Isolation, we've talked about that, feeling neglected, being a social, socially isolated being cast out of a family. Uh, I hear stories of people who, because of their commitment to the church, because of their commitment to Christ, because of their commitment to the Word of God, that they are now outcast from their families. And let me just preach on this. Let me just preach on this a minute. Lifestyles that you don't agree with, lifestyles that the Bible speaks as not being right, People who live those lifestyles can be ostracized and isolated, especially by the church, who we say we love everybody, but we will ostracize people who've chosen a lifestyle that we know isn't best for them, that we know the Bible speaks very clearly against, but God never single, never one time in the Bible ever told us that we are to ostracize anybody, no matter what lifestyle they choose. I remind you of the scripture in Luke 15 when it says Jesus was about to preach and the Pharisees, the church people, stood afar off and the sinners drew near to him. The church ought to be a place of safety. It ought to be a place where no matter what lifestyle you live, no matter what you look like, no matter whether the people in there agree with your lifestyle and accept your lifestyle, a church ought to be a place that you can walk in and find love from everybody. That was kind of weak, but I'll take it. Thank you. 
Now again, if you're hearing me say that we have to embrace those lifestyles and affirm those lifestyles, I'm not saying that. But let me ask you this. How in the world are we ever going to get somebody to Jesus by isolating them? You're never going to get them to Christ. You're never going to get them to the Word of God. You're never going to get them to consider the teachings of Jesus unless they first see Jesus in us. That's good preaching right there. A sickness or an illness can cause depression, especially a long illness, a chronic reoccurring illness. Depression can come with that. Substance abuse. Did you know that 30% of people who battle with substance abuse problems also have major issues with depression? PTSD, we live in a military community. We know all about this. We hear all about this. It's not just known here, but as thank goodness, is becoming more and more something that people are talking about so we understand those who battle. And this occurs after a serious situation in life. PTSD is often diagnosed in soldiers, and this is the way we usually think about it as they return from war. They've witnessed something. They've seen something. They've been under intense pressure and under intense threat with alarms going off and explosions and bullets everywhere. And many of them come back and, and they're, they're hurt. They're wounded. They're scarred. We have people sitting here, I guarantee you, right now who battle with this. But it's not just military. Uh, a childhood trauma can cause you to have post-traumatic stress disorder seeing something catastrophic. I think about our first responders. I think about our, our law enforcement. I think about our fire um, uh, people who come when we have a fire. Fire people, what, what am I saying here? <laughs> the fire department. Uh, the guys on Chicago Fire, those guys. That's a good show, isn't it? Pretty good. When they're fighting a fire, I don't like it when they're committing adultery. But anyway, let me just... But emergency response people, I got to tell you something, it takes special people to do emergency response, don't it? Um, to walk into what they walk into and see what they see. They can experience post-traumatic stress disorder. As a matter of fact, here's what I'd like for you to do right now. Will you just say thank you to our first responders? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Because I, I don't think that's something I could do. I was a fireman in, in a big city one time for just a short period of time. Y'all ever heard of Pine Level? I was a fireman in Pine Level one time. and I had to quit. We had to put a fire out. And there was an outhouse uh, that was on fire. And I experienced... <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried to say that with a straight face. You know, when you're putting out an outhouse, you can experience post-traumatic stress. Uh, so just look at your guest who's with you today and go, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. Um, it can be after abuse or an assault. Um, you know, we think about people who are abused, and, and I talked about that earlier. But, uh, you know, there are people who've experienced assault. Um, I'm going to just share a testimony with you, and then I've got to get to the rest of the sermon. I, I want to share a testimony with you real quick. My son, Mitch, lived an extremely risky lifestyle. And I don't know if there's anybody here who would say, are you 
should you be talking about that? You know, how would Mitch feel if he knew you? Listen, I believe if Mitch were here today, he'd say, Daddy, tell them. Tell them so they won't do it. So they won't do it. I really believe that, or I wouldn't share this, but I remember Mitch came home. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning. We hadn't seen him in a couple days. And when he got, when he walked in, I heard him. I got up out of the bed immediately and went into the uh, bathroom where he was. The door was open. He was looking in the mirror, and he turned toward me, and his face had been beaten to a pulp. His eyes were closed, tight. He was crying, tears running down his face. Uh, his, he was bleeding out of his mouth and nose. And um, he had tried to steal some drugs from a drug dealer. And when that drug dealer and his buddies found it out, they just went off. And he tried to get away and they just pulled him back. <clears throat> and he was... Um, He's probably about 25 when that happened. And he cried on my shoulder like an like a eight-year-old boy. And I remember taking Mitch for counseling, and uh, the counselor told us that he, Mitch, battled with post-traumatic stress. There's so many ways you can have this kind of experience in your life. And, and, and suffer from this. Don't, don't laugh at people who suffer with it. Don't mock them. Don't tell them to get over it. Or I will help them whip you. <laughs> it's devastating. It's devastating. You say, well, that was Mitch's fault. I, I know that. I know it was his fault. But I just make that point to let you know that there are many ways that you can set... You know, you know, it's not just what happens to you, but what you do with yourself, the decisions you make in your life. A serious car accident can cause it, or some other kind of accident. Being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness can cause you to suffer from post-traumatic stress. Let me give you a couple more. Poor sleep habits. If you're not sleeping right, and, and you know the older you get, or at least that, what, that, that's the way it's been with me, you kind of struggle with a, a straight sleeping pattern, you know, where you really get those six to eight hours uninterrupted, that's hard for me, probably hard for some of you. Uh, but you need to really work on that. And there are, some, there are some habits you can get into that will lead to a more restful night of sleep. Here's another one, and I had to put this in there. They, it, social media overload. If your face is in a, a computer all the time, um, you, can, you can get isolated from people and and. Depression can come, okay? So here are just some of, the, some of the causes, some of the things that can begin to move you in the wrong direction mentally and get you in some thought patterns that are not good for you, that are very toxic for your life. So let's get into the Bible and talk about those three men we talked about last week, Moses, Elijah, and Jonah. All three of these men battled deep depression. In fact, they battled depression so bad that all three of them prayed, God, if you really love me, kill me. I mean, that's about as low as it gets, isn't it? But that's what all three of them prayed, almost the exact same prayer. And you can go back to last week's message and see it. But as I studied them and looked at the context surrounding 
this foolish prayer for God to kill them, I found some common denominators, and I want to share them with you today. We're going to look at two of them today. We'll look at one more very quickly next week at the beginning of the sermon, and then we'll talk about uh, how to battle depression and how you can help somebody battle depression. We'll talk about that next week. But today I want to give you two uh, common denominators that these three men of the Bible, Moses, Elijah, and Jonah, uh, had in common. Number one, number one, they all, three of them, had a physical problem. A physical problem. And uh, they were worn out. They were physically exhausted, physically spent, physically worn out. Let's look at them. Moses said in Numbers 11, 11 through 14, it's not going to come up on the screen, so listen carefully. And Moses said to the Lord, I mean, you can tell, boy, Moses is talking to God here, but he's frustrated. He says, Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? I'm not their daddy. Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. And then in verse 14, he says, God, I can't carry this. I mean, this is Moses, man of God, man of faith, hero of the Bible. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. Here is a man who was suffering, a pastor. Moses was a pastor, a spiritual leader. He's suffering from physical exhaustion, physical burnout, mental exhaustion, mental mental burnout. Mary had a little lamb. It grew to be a sheep. It then became a pastor and died of lack of sleep. <laughs> Moses said, I can't carry it. I can't carry all these people by myself. So let's look at Elijah's physical problem. I noticed three things about Elijah. He had gone without food for a long time. You know, when you're really down, you either do one of two things. You either don't eat or you load it up. I mean, when I get depressed, I want some mashed potatoes with gravy. Who's with me on that? Amen. It's, and that's not good. Elijah took the other, I'm, I plan to eat some Thursday, happy, not depressed. But Elijah, he, got, he went without food. And I know people who do that when they get depressed. I see people sometimes, and I know, know kind of what they're going through. They've shared with me, and I just watch them get smaller and smaller and thinner and thinner. They don't recommend that diet to anybody. He had just finished a 30-mile cross-country hike, and he did it in the wilderness, isolated from other people. I mean, Elijah is setting himself up. When I look at that, I have to ask myself, Pharaoh, could you survive this emotionally? No food, 30-mile hike in the wilderness by yourself. Could you uh, uh, survive this? And I think about how he was doing it because he was under threat of Jezebel and Ahab. And I think about, Pharaoh, how would this affect you? You know, I, I pastor a loving church. You, you guys just don't know how many times I get on my face and thank God for this church I serve. I, I mean it. I, I just love you guys. Y'all are so good to me. You are so loving toward me and my family. 
I've been the pastor of this church a long time, and you know all about me. Some of you who have been here that whole time, you know all about me, all my warts, all my failures, all my sins. You know everything I've ever done, and still you love me. And I want to tell you that is very, very, very rare. Because one of the things I do a lot of is talk to other pastors and talk to other preachers and ministers. And they don't have that kind of love from their congregation. So I say to you today, thank you for loving me. Thank you that when I go to bed at night, I don't have to lay there with my eyes open knowing that most of the people in my church are against me. And I want you to pray for pastors who do go to bed like that. You say, well, it might be their fault. It might be, you know. But I got to tell you, they're men of God. And the Bible says, be careful how you treat men of God and women of God. Be careful about that. Even if they're wrong, be careful. Here was a man, Elijah, whose strength was gone. He was worn out. He was at a point of exhaustion when he said, Lord, take my life if you love me. And then I see Jonah. He's at the end of his rope. He had had it. I mean, think about it. He had a wellhouse for a jailhouse for three days. He spent three nights on a foam blubber mattress. Hey, I worked on those two jokes. Come on now. I try to work some humor in here. So when I do, I know sometimes you have to look at the person beside you and go, was that humor? Was that? <laughs> Jonah was exhausted after preaching a citywide crusade. I looked at that story a little closer than I ever had before and found out that Nineveh, where he preached, was about the size of Philadelphia. So he had preached a citywide crusade in a giant metropolitan city. There were no Holiday Inn Expresses. There were no Hyatt Regencies. He did not have a car to ride in. He didn't even have a PA system. No lights and smoke. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> and the Bible even talks about the weather and says the heat was great and the sun, in the King James Version it says, and the sun smote him. I mean, the sun just smacked him upside the head. Anybody ever felt like that in the middle of the summer out in the yard? So he was probably dehydrated. And finally he said, oh God, please take my life away from me. Each of these men, Moses, Elijah, Jonah, physically, emotionally spent, worn out. And when you are physically worn out, you are a candidate for depression. How many of you know who Vince Lombardi is? How many old people we got here who remember Vince? I remember him. He coached the Green Bay Packers. They won the very first Super Bowl. I actually remember that Super Bowl. That was back in B.C. before carpet. <laughs> but this is what Vince Lombardi said. He said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. When you get worn out and you don't recognize it or you recognize it and don't do anything about it, you are setting yourself up for depression. So the next common denominator I noticed about them was not only they had a physical problem, but they had a perspective problem, the way they saw things. Now, if you don't see things through the miracle-working, overcoming more than a conqueror power of God, if you look at your life and you don't see those things through God's eyes, you're going to get overwhelmed just like that. 
If you are looking at your life and the issues in your life and the problems in your life through your ability to deal with them, you're going to get overwhelmed just like that. Their warped perspective caused three things. It caused Moses to have a problem with people. It caused Elijah to have a problem with pity. And it caused Jonah to have a problem with pouting. And this led these men into depression. Let's talk about Moses. Moses had a people problem. Some of you can't be happy, and some of you don't know joy because you let the behavior of other people ruin your joy. That's exactly what Moses was doing. You let the behavior, the words, the actions of people you can't control determine your level of joy. Here's some advice for you. Stop it. Stop that. Don't let other people determine your joy. I mean, it got that way when we were struggling with Mitch. Millie and I would get together and we'd go, you know what, we got to that, set that aside, love him, pray for him, but I couldn't control. I couldn't control it. People call me, Pastor, what do I do? My son, my daughter, listen, you're talking to somebody who didn't have all the answers. I can give you a few little pieces of advice. I can tell you some things we did wrong. I can do something like that for you. But I got to tell you something. We didn't know what to do. But here's what Millie and, I, Millie and I decided to do, and it was a battle every day. We decided he's not going to determine, his behavior is not going to determine, determine the joy in our marriage. It's not going to determine the joy in our home. And it was hard. Moses said in 11.11, Numbers, the book of Numbers, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Moses came to the conclusion that you didn't have to be accountable to get fed up with people. Amen? Some of y'all get that later. Thank you. Thank all of you who got that immediately. And I still love you who are going, huh? <laughs> Listen to this. You, some of you are in a position. I mean, it could be just in your home with your family. But some of you are in a position. You've made some good decisions. You've done some things right. So everybody who's got problems comes to you. So these people are just coming to Moses, coming, 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 coming from every direction over and over. And they're always asking him for things he couldn't give them. We want meat to eat. And he's like, God, they want meat to eat. Where am I going to get meat to eat? I love that scripture in Numbers. He goes, I'm not their daddy. Where am I going to get meat to eat? And then it was like they... You know, we were in Egyptian bondage, and they were beating us with whips, and we were slaves, and you delivered us from that, but now we just kind of don't like it out here either. You ever met somebody like that? Doesn't matter where they are or what you, I mean, they're like, if I get free from this, man, I'm going to be so happy. And then they get free, and they're miserable again because their misery is inside. And the children of Israel whine, and then they say, you know, Moses, really, it's your fault. You brought us out here in this wilderness. You got us in this mess, and you got to do something. 
Moses' emotional fuse was getting very, very short. Depression comes when you get overwhelmed. Perry Noble just wrote a new book called Overwhelmed. Write that down. Overwhelmed, Perry Noble, great pastor in South Carolina. One of the things I love about Perry is he's real. You say, well, I, I don't agree with everything. Well, that, that's fine, but he's the real deal, buddy. What you see is what you get. And he wrote a book about how as a pastor of a booming church, he sunk down into deep depression and tried to hide it from everybody. And then he knew that the best way to deal with that was get it out in the open. And he wrote this book, Overwhelmed. If you battle depression or you know someone who does, I would recommend be a great Christmas present for somebody. In Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to him and goes, Moses, you're going to kill yourself. Here was Moses in Exodus 18 from daybreak to sunset, standing there counseling, 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 not training others to do counseling, not releasing other people with the gift that probably would make them better at it than he was, uh, and releasing them to be leaders, but doing everything himself. And the bad thing about it was people would line up in front of Moses every morning, and when the sun went down, there was a still a long line, so a lot of people never got ministry. Because Moses had to go home, get some rest, get a meal, get some rest. And so Jethro comes to him in Exodus 18 and goes, Moses, you're going to wear away. You're going to kill yourself. You've got to train other people to help you. And I would encourage you, please, please do this. Write down Exodus 18, starting with verse 13. And when you get home, read that. Don't read it now because I'm still preaching. But read that passage because really Jethro gives the way to organize any church, any organization, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage there in Exodus 18, 13 through 26. But Moses was emotionally drained. He had been giving and giving and giving. Let me just say this to you. When, when, you, are, when you are ministering to somebody, something goes out of you. Let me just say that again. How, let me ask this. How many of you volunteer in this church? If you volunteer anyway, anyway, raise your hand. Listen to me. Or you volunteer somewhere else, or you serve. If you are a volunteer at the hospital, or you're a volunteer in a rest home, or you're a volunteer with the Red Cross, or you're a volunteer, I could go on and on and on. You know, Wayne Pregnancy Center, wherever you volunteer. Listen, when you bless somebody, listen to me now, this is so important. Something goes out of you. This is where pastors mess up. Pastors forget that when they minister, something goes out of them you got to get that replaced. You remember when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Jesus' garment? And the Bible says Jesus turned and said, somebody touch me. And the disciples were like, duh. There's hundreds of people around you. A bunch of people are touching you. He said, no, no, no. I just got touched with the touch of faith. And when I felt when, that, when she touched me or when that person touched me with the touch of faith, he said, healing virtue went out of me. Something goes out of you when you minister. Something goes out of you. Listen, on your job, on your occupation, something goes out of you. When you're ministering to your children, something goes out of you. When you're working on your marriage and you're ministering to your spouse, something goes out of you. Listen to me. If you're not making any deposits into your life and all you're doing is withdraw, 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 you're going to get fried. Matter of fact, that kind of behavior right there will set you up for an affair. 
It will set you up for uh, cheating somebody in a business deal. It will set you up for sin because you can't keep giving and giving and giving and having something flow out of you and there's never anything spiritual flowing into you. I'll be honest with you now. I'm going to get real. It bothers me when I get here every Sunday and the same people are doing ministry every Sunday. And the same people are serving in the same spots every Sunday. You've got to get from God. It's wonderful that you serve. You're never going to develop and grow as a Christian until you learn to serve. But it isn't that he, he wants you to give of yourself. He wants you to give of him. What did I say earlier? And What have I said a hundred times before? Thousands. He wants to do it through you. It's like the oil in the lamp. That, that oil is the Holy Spirit. That oil is the Word of God. That oil is the power of God in your life. That oil is the presence of God in your life. But when you burn that oil up, you're the wick. All of a sudden, there's no oil, and the wick burns up. And when the wick burns up, you set yourself up not just for depression, because a lot of times on the heels of depression, there is cheating in a marriage on the heels of depression. There's cheating at, on the job on the heels of depression. There's sin. Because that's all the enemy wants to do is get you to sin because then he knows sin separates you from God. And the power of God can't work and flow and minister in your life. This is so important what I'm saying. Another thing I love you guys for is, you understand you can't always see me. I mean, if you guys were like this and went, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not even going out there at the bridge. If the pastor can't have coffee with me every week and, and, and you know, meet with me. And, and uh, here's what I love. I want to stop by, I just want to stop by my church anytime I feel like it. And I want my pastor to be in the office in there waiting for me. You need to go to church somewhere else. I'm just telling you right now, you're going to be disappointed. I may be in there by myself and still not see you. Because I might be with Jesus. I got some Jesus time and I tell the girls, I say, I'm going to shut this door. I need to be by myself. And they know. Even the staff comes. They know, he's, don't go in there right now. It's him and Jesus. Somebody said, well, I want my preacher to always be, be available. It, it reminds me of what the great Adrian Rogers said. Adrian Rogers said, when a preacher is always available, you use it much to him when you get him. I appreciate that about you all. Elijah, here's Moses, he's got a people problem. Elijah's got a pity problem. Listen to me. You feeling sorry for yourself this morning? The cup of pity, if you're drinking from it, is intoxicating. Elijah was drinking from the intoxicating cup of self-pity. The reason he was pitying himself is that Jezebel had made him a promise. She had said, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to make you a foot shorter at the top. By the way, Elijah's not the last preacher who's had a fit of depression over some long-time Jezebel. I don't believe Elijah really wanted to die. Because the Bible says he went a whole day's journey to get away from her. If he really wanted to die, all he had to do was sit still. 
So you know what that tells me? He didn't want to die. He felt sorry for himself. Pity. We all go there. I go there. So he had a problem with pity. Moses had a problem with people. Jonah had a problem with pouting. Because God changed his mind and said, when you preach to Nineveh, I'm going to save them. And it ticked him off. Because you see, Jonah was a super patriot. He loved his country. He loved Israel. And Nineveh had treated Israel kind of the way and felt toward Israel kind of the way some nations have felt toward us, like Iran and now this whole ISIS thing. And Nineveh was like ISIS. And Jonah was like some of us, and like I've been, why don't we just drop something on them and be done? That's what he wanted to do, but God said no. See, Jonah knew Nineveh was a bandit race of people, murderers, ISIS-like. They were wicked and vile, and they were always a threat to Israel. And Jonah wanted God to just wipe them out, but instead God was merciful. Moses said, I don't get that. You might be sitting out there today going, I don't get it. Because, his, listen, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, we can't comprehend that. You better be thankful for it or you wouldn't be here. So here's Jonah. He's pouting. He's angry at God. You know, depression often comes many times because something we love and value is threatened or taken from us a possession, a loved one, a sense of hope about something. When we, when we have unresolved grief, that can lead to depression. And from depression, there can be anger. And I just want to tell you that there are a lot of angry, bitter people who are on the second stage of depression because the thing that they loved and hoped for and dreamed of seems to be lost. It is threatened, and, and it seems that they'll never have it. And that's how Jonah felt. So Moses had a people problem. Elijah had a pity problem. Jonah had a pouting problem. Listen to this. Moses had his eyes on people. Is that your problem? Elijah had his eyes on himself, and Jonah had his eyes on his circumstances, but none of them had their eyes on God. And that's when depression comes, when you take your eyes off God. So the physical problem, perspective problem. Next week, we'll look at the fact that they had a power problem. Spiritually, they were weak. Spiritually, they were weak in their walk with God. They were weak in their relationship with God. We're going to talk about that next week. And then we're going to also talk about next week how to win the war with depression and how to help somebody else win the war with depression. You get, y'all coming back next week? I don't care how much weight you gain. Be back here next week now. All right, because we need that message.